So y'all ready to continue this sermon series or what? I'm excited about this, man. All month we've been talking about being a Christian in culture, and today we're going to continue that series by talking about being a missionary to culture. You know, right? You can be a missionary to culture. For far too long, we've had this understanding of what missions looks like from the Christian perspective, and it's always this. You, you sell everything, you move to a, another country that's impoverished, and you give your life to preaching the gospel to the poor, and I do still believe that that is an extremely relevant expression of Christian missions, but Christian missions is so much bigger than that. You can be a missionary to culture. You can be a missionary to Facebook. You can be a missionary to Instagram. You can be a missionary to YouTube. You can be a missionary to social media. Right? You can be a missionary to business. You can be a missionary to government. You can be a missionary anytime you step out in obedience to the commandment of Jesus. Right? To go on mission with the Lord. That's what it means to be a missionary. It means to be commissioned for the great commission to obey Jesus and to go after people that he wants to love. That's what it means to be a missionary. And we can do that in culture. One of the things that we have um, understood through this series is what, what, what I'll maybe call point A, which is we're called to be set apart. You guys know that, right? We are called to be consecrated. We are not just consecrated from something. We are consecrated to someone, which is why our spirituality is attractive. We're not, we're not always just avoiding darkness. We are bringing the light into those dark places with a whole lot of life and a whole lot of joy. Amen. Because we are consecrated, we are set apart, we have the Holy Spirit, we're walking with Jesus, amen? But also at the same time, we are called to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. I love that. Go everywhere and tell everyone. And that includes every single sphere of society, and that includes every single mountain of culture. We are called to go into those places, take the abundant life of Jesus into those places, and share the gospel. Not just to huddle up in our churches, only having relationship with other Christians, and then talk Christianese to one another. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's, it's, it's not about that. We're called to go... And we are also set apart. So it's a truth that's held in tension there. And that's what we've been studying this past month. And in the process, we've developed four, over the last four weeks, we've developed four declarations. And I want you to speak these over yourself today. Uh, I'm going to read them together and then we will proclaim them. Number one is, we do not fear culture. We know that we live in a society where culture is constantly shifting. You know, it's like, do we engage in that? Do we not engage in that? You know, do we... um, refute that person's point on Facebook? Do we not, you know? Do we speak up about what's in the news cycle? Do we not? I'm gonna tell you, as a pastor, I feel that pressure all the time. And then one time somebody told me, dear Lord, man, you're not the Pope. You don't have to swing at every pitch. And I was like, oh, thank God, you know? But there's, there's constantly, there's constantly like these shifting, you know, shifting things in culture. And what we're taking a stand on, guys, is that we operate in love, not in fear. Amen. So the second point is this. We're not formed by culture. Culture does not have the right to form you because God created you and he is the only one that has the authority to shape who you are. 
Your identity has been given to you by God, your creator, not your culture. You do not have to perform for culture to prove your value and your worth. Because you are born and God created you, you have innate value and innate worth because you come from him. Thirdly, we engage culture. We don't shrink back and stay in our holy huddle. But we get out there and we do something in the culture to bring light into the darkness. Amen. If you think that the spirit is powerful in here, wait till you get out there. You know, Ezekiel had a vision of water that flowed from the house of God, right? The further he got out, the deeper the water got. That is a picture of the anointing. That is a picture of the moving of the Holy Spirit as to what happens when we take what's happening in here out there. The greatest miracles that you're ever going to see is not going to be in this altar space. It's going to be in the darkest place. That's where the miracles take. That's where the crazy stuff is going to happen, guys. When you read throughout the Gospels, there's only one miracle that Jesus performs in the temple. It's like 40 miracles or something. You can, somebody Google that. Tweet me on it later. But there's like 40 miracles or something that Jesus performs in the Gospels, and 39 of them don't happen in church. Right? So our greatest miracles, and think how many people we see get saved here. Think how many. We just reported 20 healings, man. Like, we're going to see great things out there. The last one is we form culture. You know, it's, it's illegal for a Christian to complain that they are not creative. We have the creator of the universe that dwells on the inside of us. Therefore, we are well able to create and co-labor with the Holy Spirit to form culture, to shape worlds that other people can live and participate in to where they can experience the abundance of life, to where they can experience breakthrough and blessing and joy. Amen? This is what we have been gifted to do. This is our anointing. And so what I want to do today is I want to break down a story. I have been talking from Daniel. I'm actually just going to tell a story from the life of Jesus. Is that okay today? We're going to move from... Daniel the prophet to the primary prophet ever, Jesus. And we're going to talk about Jesus and a story about how Jesus was a missionary to his culture and about how Jesus engaged people in his culture. And from this story, we're going to extract four points that all of us can model as we go after being a missionary to our culture. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. That's like a SpongeBob or something like that. When I say that, that's what I think of. So it's Luke chapter 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 all together and, uh, and, and go through this story. This is a story about a wee little man named Zacchaeus. You guys remember that guy from Sunday school, right? A wee little man named Zacchaeus. Well, that's the story that we're going to read today. So turn in your Bible or read off the screen with me from Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 11. He, everybody say Jesus. Entered Jericho and was just passing through. Now, what I want you to notice here right off the bat is that Jesus is not necessarily being incredibly intentional about pursuing this person for evangelism. All right? He's just doing his normal. So if we had this in more of a modern translation, we might say, um, you know, Allison entered barista parlor and was just grabbing a latte, which how many of you guys know that means she's there for 20 minutes? <laughs> and he entered Jericho. I'm just, I'm just having fun, all right? And he entered Jericho and was 
passing through. So Jesus was just doing his routine thing. He was just doing his normal. It wasn't like he was on this big mission trip. It wasn't this big assignment. It wasn't like it was, you know, he didn't have like prayer and fasting beforehand. Now we're going to go reach the lost, right? He's just doing his normal life. And how many of you guys know, like, that's what we're called to, to have a spirituality and to be on and to live on mission so consistently that even as we're going through the routines of life, we're looking for people who God wants to talk to. Amen? And so Jesus was just passing through, and behold, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector. That means he was like the manager of H&R Block. (laughs) Not really. Um, So instead of being somebody who was legitimate and legal, being a tax collector in this culture was actually to be somebody who was hated because they were actually extortionists. So under the banner of the government, they went to the Jewish people and they extorted finances from them and they took more than they were actually owed. And as a result, they became rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And so he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. Now, how many of you guys know there is a ton of people out there that don't want anything to do with church, they don't want anything to do with the Bible, but they are curious about Jesus. They are wondering, what is this guy all about? What is Jesus about really? And they've heard stories, maybe they've even read scripture a couple of times, and they're fascinated with who Jesus is, but they don't necessarily have any interest in the Bible or the words of Jesus or living according to the sermons of Jesus, but they're looking, what is Jesus really all about, right? We all agree on that? And so that's what Zacchaeus was doing. So he ran ahead. He climbs up into this tree, uh, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Notice the intimacy. Notice the connection. Look at the friendship. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house. And so Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. Zacchaeus is ecstatic. He's like, wow, this is amazing. Jesus, you want to come over to my house for food? Okay. And when they saw it, this is all the religious people, they grumbled. Everybody say they gossiped. They gossiped. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham. He brings him into the family. You guys seeing this? He calls him a son. Now, he knows he's a sinner. He knows, he knows he's a fraudulent tax collector. He knows he's an extortionist, right? But he says, today you're saved and you're coming home. Son. Son of Abraham. For the son of man 
came to seek and to save the lost. If you were ever wondering what a good mission statement for the ministry of Jesus might be, if you ever wondered why Jesus left heaven to come to earth, it was to do missions. Jesus left his hometown, right? And he came to earth to see you saved and set free. Jesus is the OG missionary, right? And he came incarnationally. He became like the people that he was called to see saved. See, a lot of times when we think about doing missions, it's like we go in and then we start telling people how they ought to live without first becoming like the people that we're called to serve. Getting in their house, eating some food with them, asking them what they like, what kind of stuff are they into, connecting with them before correcting them. Right? So Jesus came incarnationally. And he said, I'm going to become like you. I'm going to become a human being. Because my call is to seek and to save the lost. Now, looking at Jesus and how he did missions. Looking at Jesus and how he did evangelism. You know, it's easy to, to look at that and say, man, that's amazing. I wish I could do some evangelism like that. And every now and then, at least a couple of, a couple of times every couple of years... Uh, will we'll, uh, for a lot of Christians, not everybody, not this sir, nobody at the ten, fifteen, other sir, the twelve noon, but like you get encouraged, right? And you'll say, "Man, I'm going to do some evangelism. I'm going to share Jesus with people." I remember the first time I ever did that, like street evangelism. I had just gotten saved nine months previous, and I was living in Austin, Texas. And somebody at my church said, "Hey, you want to go with us down to Sixth Street?" And Sixth Street is kind of like. Um, Nash Vegas, but it's just like turned up a little bit, right? And so a lot more drinking and partying, a lot of young people, they're hanging out, they're dancing, they're screaming, they're yelling, they're having fun, you know? And uh, this, this couple, a couple of guys, they said, hey, you want to go out with us, do some street evangelism? I was like, well, I ain't no sissy, you know? So, because that's what I was thinking, you know, because obviously shame is the proper motivation to share the gospel, I'm telling you guys, if we would stop sharing the gospel out of our shame and start sharing the gospel out of our joy, then we'd be so much more effectual. But we don't share the gospel because we have to. We share the gospel because we're in love. And we start looking at humanity through the lens of Jesus. It's easy to say, hey, how are you living, man? What's going on in your world? You guys with me? When the motivation shifts, the process is so much more endurable because you're not just thinking about, man, I got to get them to pray a prayer. You start thinking about, man, I got to build a relationship so they can build a relationship. You guys with me, right? So when I was down on 6th Street, I was doing like the evangelism and stuff. With the, I wasn't really doing much because I was scared. I'll be honest with you. But they, they had a different strategy. They had a certain tactic, and it's okay if this is your style. It's all right. I think God blesses it. People got saved. But they had, like, fake $100 bills, and they were like, you know, like, yeah, tracks. They had tracks. That's what it was, tracks. Now, I, didn't know, I didn't know much about that world, but here's what I did know. I knew about the street world because I was living in it nine months previous. And I was like, man, if you would have put that thing in front of my face, I would have smacked you. Like, I was a mean person. You know, I was down here trying to party, and you're down here trying to kill my vibe so what I was thinking is I feel very uncomfortable with this okay I don't want to tell these people that they're going to hell 
um, because they're just down here trying to have some fun, man. They don't know, you know, that's what I'm thinking because I just came out of that and I'm like, man, I would never be open to this kind of evangelism. So I couldn't do it. And to be honest with you, I stepped away from that thinking, I don't think I'm called to evangelism. How many of you guys in here, you've had an experience either on one or the other side of that, you know, conversation. And you're like, you know what? I'm just, I ain't doing that no more. I've, I've, I'm, I'm turned off. I'm turned off by scary evangelism. So therefore, I have an excuse for not doing it at all. Yeah, I, I meant to punch you in the heart there. Hey, look. Look, because, because we're turned off by how it's been done wrong, we make no attempt to do it right. But the commission has not changed. The commandment has not been deleted. We're still responsible for sharing love and sharing the gospel with people. Amen. And then we also live in a culture where not just having experiences like that with weird Christians. I've been picketed before. I have, actually. And they had like video cameras. And it's almost like they're so antagonizing that they want you to punch them. And I was ready. I was ready to show them some five-fold ministry. Just... You know, but they, they're like filming. And how many of you guys know you cannot antagonize and influence at the same time? It's impossible. You can't antagonize and influence at the same time. And I remember having that experience. But also, we live in a culture where it's become rude to share your faith. It's, it's that same realm as politics. It's like you don't talk about politics because you don't want to incite an argument. And therefore, you don't talk about your religion because you don't want to stir up anything. And so we just, we're just not going to talk about it. We're not going you know, to share it with anybody. We're not going to talk about Jesus publicly. We're just going to shut it down. Right? And, and, and so often we find ourselves in this cultural rhythm of bowing our knee to fear and never actually fulfilling the Great Commission because we're adhering more to the culture than we are to our calling. So, what we're going to do today is we're going to break out of that in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says, So wherever you go, make disciples of all nations. To be clear, this is our assignment. This is our commissioning. This is a commandment. This is what each and every one of us that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ are called and commanded to do. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. So number one, if you're going to be a missionary in culture, here's point one. You should be... Wherever you go, you should be looking to make a disciple. Wherever you go, we should be looking to make a disciple. You know, when Pastor Josh Kelsey was here with us from C3 New York City, he was talking about a strategy that God gave to him when he was walking New York City. And he said that one divine appointment a day would reach the city, right? One divine appointment a day would reach the city. And so he started looking for one person per day to connect with in New York City. Well, if you connect with one person every single day, that's 365 divine connections. So he was able to reach 365 people in a year, right? Now, I don't know how many people are in this room right now. I mean, let's just guess and say like 160 people or something. So 160 people 
times 365, that's 58,400 people. That if each and every one of us would take upon this assignment of saying, you know what, I'm going to look for one divine connection a day. We could actually minister to 58,400 people in this city this year. Now, those people can't fit in here, but who cares? Who cares where they go to church? We got a good list. You know, somebody texted me this week and said, man, hey, you know, uh, I want to go to a different church. I'm like, you need a list? They were leaving our church. You want a list? It's fine. Hey, if you don't want to come here, then, hey, we want to restore a relationship if there's been any breach. But here's the thing. We send you, dude. Go. Here's a list of amazing churches that you should go to, right? They can't all fit in here. 58,000 people we could reach in the city of Nashville if we took on this assignment. Amen? So wherever you are, look to be making a disciple. And so what Jesus did, here's what we see that Jesus did. Jesus stops by this tree. He looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. And then he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus. Now, I don't know if this was a prophetic word or if Zacchaeus' reputation had preceded him because that is a possibility, right? Maybe whenever he was coming through the city, uh, a few disciples that were there said to Jesus, hey, look, there's a, there's a wee little man named Zacchaeus. And he's a tax collector. And do not get near him because he will come for your money. And he will extort you. He will abuse you. He will manipulate you. He will do illegal things to you, Jesus. Stay far away from the wee little man named Zacchaeus. Maybe that was the case. Maybe, maybe Jesus knew who he was by the Spirit. I'm sure he did either way. But Jesus, you know, he steps up and he looks at Zacchaeus and he doesn't call Zacchaeus a name. He calls Zacchaeus by name. And this is point two. How many of you guys know everybody needs love? Nobody needs a debate. This is not the way to win souls. Proverbs says, he who wins souls is wise. But the way in which you win souls is not by defeating somebody in an argument. Because it is the kindness of the Lord that leads sinners to repentance, not arguments. Everybody needs love. Nobody needs a debate. John 13, 35 says, by by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, before I got saved, I was a server in a barbecue restaurant in Kentucky. You know the worst time to wait tables? Sunday afternoon. That's the truth, man, because people were short, people were rude, and they were stingy and didn't tip. That's a problem. Would you guys agree? Like, that's a problem, right? Because people should know, oh, man, I got a table, and they're Christians. They're about to give me a good tip. Even if I give them bad service, they'll be forgiving and still be generous. Like, that's the reputation that we should have around town is that whenever people know that we're Christians, they instantaneously feel safe. They're like, oh, man, I can share my problems with you. I can share what's really going on in my life with you. And that's the reason why Zacchaeus got hit with so much joy. He was so happy. He was like, this guy, Jesus, he sees me. He knows me by name. And he wants to be my friend. Notice that Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house before Zacchaeus got saved. You, You guys getting the point here? Look, you can begin to disciple people even before they get saved. 
The discipleship process doesn't start once people pray a prayer. The discipleship process begins as soon as they're exposed to you. Because as soon as they meet you, what they should see is a lifestyle that has been made available to them by the living God. And that it's been God's grace to put them in relationship with somebody who's going to love them so effectually that they step into their eternal purpose. So that we're able to do that. And that's what Jesus said. Hey, I want to hang out with you in your house. Even before, even before you pray the prayer. But what happened as a result of Jesus inviting himself over? The religious people, man, they started to grumble. Verse 19 and 7 says, or excuse me, chapter 19, 7 says, And when they saw it, they all gossiped. And they said, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Preposterous. Here's point three. Every now and then, people should wonder why you're friends with that person. I need to read that point again. Every now and then, people should wonder why you're hanging out with that person. And that's exactly what happened. Despite the fact that Jesus connected with them, and they knew who Jesus was, some of them, they still gossiped. And they said, man, how is he going to spend time with sinners? Well, how are you going to reach a sinner if you don't know any sinners? Well, it's impossible. Unless you build relationship, then there's no way you can reach them. But one of Jesus' names is actually a friend of sinners. That's what they called Jesus. They said, he's a friend of sinners. How, how often, I mean, I know it's rare, do we meet a Christian brother or sister that you'd say, man, that guy's a friend of sinners. We need to renew that reputation in us that we could be a friend of people who are not sanctified but fully living in sin. Is this too much for you guys? Matthew 11 verse 19 says, The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Now get this last part because we're going to come back to it. But wisdom is, to, is, is shown to be right by its results. Matthew eleven nineteen. 19. If you pursue making disciples like Jesus... Religious people are going to have something to say about it. And I want you to take this as a signal that you're headed in the right direction. Because here's the result that takes place. Zacchaeus gets transformed, right? And what, is, what happens when Zacchaeus gets transformed? He said, Lord, he said, okay, I'm saved. I'm a son of Abraham now, right? I'm transformed. But what was Zacchaeus' response? He said, I'm going to take half of what I own. I'm going to give it to the poor. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to all the people that I've wronged. And I'm going to pay them back fourfold. Right? So let me ask you a question. I know it's very easy to look at the religious people and say, man, I can't believe them. They're so religious. Those, those Pharisees, I can't stand them. Always grumbling. Always gossiping. Look at Jesus doing that awesome thing. Well, what if you were one of the people that Zacchaeus had stolen from? What if you were one of the people that Zacchaeus had abused? What if you were one of the people that Zacchaeus had committed an illegal act against? I think it'd be pretty easy to gossip about Jesus for hanging out with that person. Let's put it into modern context. How does your heart respond when you see a Christian brother or sister hanging out with somebody that has wronged you? 
that person stole from me. I can't believe that person would call themselves a Christian and there they are supporting that person who committed that illegal act against me. That person abused me. That person took money from me. And you're hanging out with them? I can't stand you. I'm going to make up some stuff about you. I'm going to gossip against you because you're hanging out with sinners. You obviously need some correction. But maybe, just maybe, God is sending your Christian brother or your sister to talk to your previous abuser so that salvation can come to their house and then they can restore to you what they stole from you fourfold. Oftentimes when we're praying for restoration to happen, we're praying, Lord, restore the years that the canker worm has eaten. You know, give me restitution for everything that's been stolen from me. Well, what if God sends people to the person that sinned against you so that then you can get repaid what was taken? But how can that take place if you're gossiping against them? How can that take place if you're cutting yourself off by speaking ill will against what God's doing in that person's life? When you see somebody who's a friend of sinners, don't gossip and poke fun. Believe the best. Pray and bless. Say, God, I don't know what's going on through that relationship, but I pray for him in Jesus' name because I believe the best about that person. I mean, you can go back and look at Instagram when Carl Lentz was hanging out with Jay-Z. And how many Christ- Christians got on that feed, man, and just started throwing star? can't believe you're in the Illuminati now. I mean, it was like, it was crazy, man, the things that were being spoken. But we've got to come at it from a heart of believing the best and knowing, man, this is somebody who's God, who God has raised up. This is somebody who God's anointed. So let's believe the best about what is being shared and pray for the brother so that he's inspired to speak the things that... Ne- that Jay-Z or somebody like needs to hear in their heart. Is that too real? (laughs) We got to stop grumbling and start blessing when we see people hanging out with sinners. Here's a fourth point. The results are in. The sinner becomes a saint. Now, we're going to look at this from a few a few angles, right? So Matthew 11 and 19, it says, the son of man on the other hand feasts and drinks and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. I told you we'd come back to this. Here's the last line. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Now, when you hang with the wrong folks, right? People are gonna caution you. But here's how you prove that what you're doing is wisdom. The results. So, what, so when you go to hang with a sinner, when you go to hang with somebody who you know needs Jesus, what's the results of your hang? I mean, I'm, real question, right? What's the result? Do you become more like them or do they become more like you? Because if, if there's no transformation, then it's not ministry. And I'm not saying the transformation has to happen overnight. Sometimes it's going to take years. All right? It doesn't have to happen overnight. But you are understanding that what you're doing, there is something that's transpiring in their hearts because you're looking for opportunities to release the love of Jesus. You're looking for opportunities to speak identity over that person. You're looking for opportunities to say, man, I love you enough. I'm I'm just constantly, I'm just bringing you, I'm not coercing you into a religion. I'm persuading you into a relationship of love and kindness so I, I know sometimes people are like, oh, man, well, you know, I'm, I'm hanging out with these people. You know, they don't, they don't live right, but I'm, a, I'm one of those cool Christians. 
Well, what's the result? That's the question. What's the result? You can, I don't know what the result is. I don't know through Instagram. But here's the thing. You know in your heart what's the result. And if you haven't seen the fruit that you want to see in the lives of people that you know have yet to come home, like, just keep loving them. Like, come at them, you know, pray for them. Keep, keep, it's okay to have an assignment, but it's, you're not treating people like projects. You're inviting them into a relationship of love because you have been so transformed that you can't stop talking about it. And it doesn't mean you bombard them or you hurt them or that you demand that they change overnight, but that you continue to love them because that is the assignment that Jesus states in Luke chapter 19, verse 11, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is clearly stating his purpose, and by stating his purpose, he's revealing ours. You guys with me on this? If we're doing missions, there'll be results. There'll be fruit, right? God will make sure of it. It's not you who saves anybody. It's not you who heals anybody. It's not you who transforms anybody. It's not your responsibility to see somebody saved. Your responsibility is to obey God. God will bring them into the family like he did Zacchaeus. Here's the last thing I want to say before we pray is that it is absolutely possible to accept and not approve. And I know sometimes we get so stuck in this and, and people grumble and, and, and people say things against us when we hang out with people who are different than us. But it's like, dude, it is absolutely possible to accept and not approve. You know, my kids do things all the time that I don't approve of. Right? But I, full, I have full unconditional love for them and I accept them as they are. And anybody who tells you otherwise, man, that, it's just, it's not true. It's absolutely possible. You look into the eyes of folks and you say, man, I, come in. Can I come into your house? You come to my house. We're different. We believe, that we believe different stuff. But can we connect? <laughs> Let me rewrite your history that you've had with Christians. Let me change what you've come to expect from people who call themselves Christians. Let me connect with you. Let me love on you. Because maybe this is the seed that somebody else waters. Maybe I'm watering the seed that somebody else has sown. But here's what we do know, that the spiritual truth is, the spiritual law says, you reap what you sow. So we're looking to sow, man. We're looking to sow seeds into people. We're looking to accept people. We're looking to sow them and accept. Okay, come in. All right, let's stand up. I'm going to pray today. And what I want to do is I, I want to commission us as missionaries to culture. Did you guys get anything out of this? Can we, look over, can we look over those four points again all together, please, if you guys had the slide? Just to read them out all together. Wherever we go, we should be looking to make a disciple. So wherever you go this afternoon for lunch, look for a divine connection. Maybe they're not ready to come to church yet. So what? Give them your phone number. Follow them on Instagram. Send them a DM. Not everybody's ready. You don't have to share everything on the first date. That's not a good strategy. When has that ever worked for you? She's like, he's needy. 
I'm interested in being your girlfriend, but not your mom. Wherever you go, you're looking to build a bridge. You're looking to make a connection, right? Number two is everybody needs love. Nobody needs a debate. Listen, if you feel the need to defend God, can you let that go today? Because he's big enough to defend himself. In fact, he's so big that he defends you. If God has not asked you to defend yourself, but turn the other cheek, then why do we think that God's asked us to defend him? God is God all by himself. You don't have to defend him. Every now and then, people should wonder why you're friends with that person. Let's not shrink back any longer from the friends that we have that maybe don't live like us. Let's love them and love them in public. Don't be ashamed of them. If they're your friend, call them your your friend. The result is a sinner becomes a saint. And this is what we're praying, guys. We're praying for the harvest today, amen? Here's the thing. If If you're thinking, man, one day I'll do that. Nope, today. Because, you know, Jesus, he corrected the religious folk who said, man, four months and then the harvest. See, that he knows the tendency of religious people to always be looking to the next season. Well, we got a prophetic word that it's coming next. And Jesus said, well, here's the prophetic word. I am here now. Right? And Jesus said, hey, the fields are ripe and they are white and they are ready to be harvested. So it's now. 